Good morning. Greetings again in Jesus' name. And greetings again from Virginia. It's been a pleasure to be here. It's been a pleasure to reconnect with a number of you all and make some new connections. Look forward to fellowshipping more later through the day as well. So the topic that was assigned to me today is living in good conscience. So a definition maybe of living in good conscience would be the idea of going through life, going about daily life with a good conscience, a conscience that's well-trained, it's giving us good, right, accurate guidance and direction, and it's clear of offense toward God and towards our fellow man. So for that to happen, we talked last evening about how that our conscience needs to be trained, needs to be well-grounded on God's Word, and it needs to be guided by His Holy Spirit. There is no way that we will be able to live life with a good conscience if our conscience is not leading us correctly in God's ways. I had to think about a familiar verse in 2 Timothy 4.3 where Paul tells Timothy that for, the, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So he's saying that there's a time coming that rather than following after what God says, people are going to seek out. They're going to actively pursue what they want to hear. And what do people want to hear? They want to hear what's easy. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what's easy, what makes life easy and fun or what they think makes life easy and fun. So if we're going to be living in good conscience, we need to be going the opposite direction of what Paul talked about in that verse. And I think that we face a great danger in the world that we live in today of being misguided, of... of finding ourselves following after those who are not sound in the faith. As I talked about last evening, the world is full of many voices saying that they have the truth, but it's man's truth and not God's. I also thought about Psalm 1, the first two verses, and again, very familiar verses. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I think that we could almost have taken those two verses this morning and looked at them and discussed from them what it means to live in good conscience is he speaks there of walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. So there's some things that we need to be avoiding. But he goes on from that and says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That is where this man in Psalm 1 is, is gaining truth to guide and direct his conscience. So when we speak of living in good conscience, I think we can make the assumption, or that we need to make the assumption since we're speaking of living in good conscience that we are or we're willing to, we're pursuing training our conscience in God's ways. And I would like to think a little bit about our response to our conscience as it speaks. Last evening I talked about the difference in our conscience between the antecedent conscience, which is our conscience speaking to us before we take an action, and this, our sequential conscience, thank you Floyd, which is speaks to us after we have done something telling us what we have done wrong. And I brought out last evening, and I want to just bring this point out maybe a couple times this morning, how important it is that we should be very interested in listening to and heeding the antecedent conscience. Because it's going to keep us from so much wrong and so many... Uh, regrets in life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I suspect a lot of y'all have heard someone say, maybe said yourself, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. Typically, when you hear somebody make that statement, they know that if they ask permission, it likely will be denied. So rather than ask permission, I go ahead and I do it, and then I say, well, I'm sorry that I did that. But see, if we live by that principle, we will find ourselves squelching that antecedent conscience. And we'll find ourselves doing things and involved in things that we'll regret. Things that we should never have participated in. Things we have, saying things we should have never said, etc. At that point, we're, we're putting all of the responsibility on our sequential conscience to try to clean up the mess that we've made. But if we do that, we're going to continue to find ourselves doing things that are not in line with God's word. They're not in line with, with what is right. You would think talk about living a righteous life. And that basically, when we say that we should live righteously, it means we should live doing what is right. And we can't do that if we're continually asking forgiveness instead of asking permission, so to speak. There's a proverb that I want us to consider a little bit, thinking about living in good conscience. Proverbs 1, verse 7, and this is, this is a very familiar verse. 
Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Think about that in regards to your conscience. And I'm going to reword that proverb just a little bit. I'd like to say it like this. Living before God in good conscience is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise the instruction of their conscience. And I believe that that interpretation of, of, of that verse grasps the meaning of what the writer of that proverb was, was trying to say. Because if we're living before God in good conscience, we're going to be living in the fear of the Lord. We're going to be sensitive to our conscience, sensitive to the guiding of, of His Holy Spirit. But if we are not living in the fear of the Lord, we're going to be the fool that despises the instruction of our conscience. We're going to find the instruction of our conscience saying, no, you shouldn't do that as an inconvenience. We're going to, to push back against that. So I think that as we as we have a fear of the Lord, as we have a desire to do what is right in His eyes, we're going to be preparing ourselves to listen to and to follow our conscience as it speaks, that antecedent conscience that speaks before we take an action. And how much better to take that, that warning and to avoid doing something that is displeasing to the Lord, doing something that we regret, doing something that we have to go back and ask forgiveness for, than, than to find ourselves at that point of regret. It's, it's much better to heed that early speaking of our conscience and our, and our mind. So how do we get to that point that when our conscience speaks to us and our flesh says, no, I want to do what I want to do. How do we get to the point where we readily and willingly yield to what our conscience is telling us? And I believe and I have learned this in my life through trial and error, you could say, through many errors on my part. But we need to determine in our minds that God's way is best and that God always has my good in mind. So that if, if God is speaking to me through my conscience, saying this is something you should not do, this is something you should not be involved in, I need to to have my mind determined that when God speaks like that, He is speaking what is best for me. 
Too often, we find ourselves doubting God and we want to go our own way. We want to try our own way. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, and I would like to read the first six verses of this chapter. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Familiar account of the fall of mankind into sin. And I want to point out a few things here. We see that God had spoken. God's, God's will, God's truth was known by Adam and Eve. We know that Eve understood what God's will was. So what happened? Satan came and he tempted Eve. And what did he tell her? What, what was the basis of the temptation that Satan brought to Eve? The basis of that temptation was that God is withholding something good from you. He told her that for God doth know that in the day thereof your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. She doubted God's goodness. And she went directly against the known command of God, the known will of God, and she ate of that fruit. Because she was seeking something better. And I believe that today that is one of Satan's greatest tactics against you and me. It's to get us to believe that God is withholding something from us that's enjoyable or that's beneficial in some way. And I believe that if Eve had had a strong determination in her mind that even though she didn't understand everything about what God had told them, even though she felt like maybe she was missing out on something, that even, even in spite of all that, 
if she was convinced that God had something better in store, that God had her good in mind, I don't think that she would have given in to that temptation. So you see, that needs to be my mindset. It needs to be your mindset. That as our conscience speaks, as it's been instructed in God's, through God's Word, and guided by His Holy Spirit, and our conscience speaks, not to view it as an inconvenience, but to view it as a revelation of what God's will is. The point where God can bring blessing into my life. And that if I go my own way, I'm going to be getting the opposite. Even though it might seem like that there's, that there's some reward in going my own way, I must be convinced that God has my good in mind. So I asked, did Eve have that antecedent conscience that spoke to her before she did wrong, before she partook of that fruit? And I believe that she did because she clearly understood what God had commanded them. She clearly understood what was right and what was wrong. And so I believe that she knowingly went against her conscience. She went against that, that knowledge because she doubted God. So, I say that to point out the importance of developing and listening to that antecedent conscience which speak to, speaks to us before we take action. Because the statement that it's better to, that it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission is simply another lie from the devil. We need to be listening and heeding those warnings, following our conscience as long as it's well trained by his word. Think of the pain and the grief and the disappointment that Adam and Eve would have been spared if they had yielded to that early speaking, the antecedent conscience speaking to them. So then we could ask, did Adam and Eve have an active sequential conscience? And yes, they did. Because as soon as they sinned, we see that they started taking action to cover the results of their sin. And the next step was that they hid from God because their conscience was bothering them because of what they had done. So is it better to ask permission? Yes. Seek the, the permission of a good godly conscience before taking action. So we all know in life, we don't always do what we should. There are times when we find ourselves 
in the wrong. We've, we resist the warning of our conscience and we do something that we shouldn't have done. And I mentioned this last evening. Sometimes there's, there's times where you may have done something in days, weeks, months later, suddenly it comes to mind and, and your, your conscience bothers you about that thing. because our conscience is continually learning and developing. And when those things, when that, when our conscience brings something like that to mind, we need to ask forgiveness. We need to possibly make amends for past actions. But we need to be willing to listen and to heed. And I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, you know, as we is we have as our sequential conscience brings things to our mind speaks to us of things where we have erred areas where we have erred if we do not respond to that if we squelch our conscience speaking to us after the fact i think that it's going to have a dulling effect even on our antecedent conscience because if I do something that is wrong and after the fact my conscience bothers me and I just ignore it, then when my conscience speaks to me about something I'm considering doing, it doesn't really matter anymore. Because if I don't heed my conscience here, I can squelch it over here as well. So I think it's important that we Listen to our conscience speaking. I believe our conscience could be likened to a muscle. That the more a muscle is used, the more it is exercised, the more strength and the more flexibility that muscle has. But with disuse, that muscle will waste away and become useless. So if we're going to live in good conscience, as our conscience speaks, as it works in our, in our life, we need to exercise it. We need to be listening to it and putting it to use, heeding its warnings and admonitions if we want it to remain healthy and to be a blessing in our life. Another important aspect of living in good conscience. And we spoke of this a little last night, but that is that of respecting the conscience of others. Also, something that we sometimes call group conscience. We're given the admonition in the New Testament many times to submit to each other, to be unified as a body of believers. And I'm just going to read a few verses. Not There's, there's way more than this. But Romans 10, 12. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. So we're to prefer one another. Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
to not just prefer, but submit. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than, than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. So we're to esteem or to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. And we're to look not just on our own things, not just on our own needs, but on the needs of our brothers and sisters in the church. We're to have the good of others in mind above our own desires. And one way that we do that is being sensitive to the conscience of others and to the conscience and will and direction of the body as a whole. Paul gives us some very challenging teachings along these lines. In Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul addresses the issue of the eating of meat that may have been sacrificed uh, to idols. And I'd like to turn to Romans 14 and read some verses there. just to help us to understand a little bit what Paul was saying. And I'd like to read verses 13 through 21. I'd like to read these from the New International Version. I think it helps us to understand a little bit, to put it, put it into uh, words that, that we can maybe uh, uh, grasp and apply in our lives a little better. Romans 14, 13 through 21 from the NIV. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow that which you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So what Paul was addressing here was in their day, the meat that was sold in the market apparently a percentage of it, maybe a good percentage of it, was meat that had been offered in 
idol worship. There were those whose consciences would not allow them to buy and eat that meat. And there were others like Paul. He says here that uh, he says he's fully convinced that no food is in, unclean in itself. To him, it was a non-issue. It didn't matter where that meat had come from, what its past history was. He was okay with it. So we have this scenario in this church of these two different groups. In a scenario like that is a breeding ground for disrespect and division within the church. Because what often happens is that you have these different factions and they look at each other and they see what each other is doing. In this group over here, we'll call them the, the meat eaters. And they look over here at the group that is the non-meat eaters. And they, they look at them and they shake their heads and they say they're just misguided weaklings. The non-meat eaters look over here at the meat eaters and they say, I can't believe that they would go and buy that meat that has been offered to an idol and eat it. And you have a beginning of a division and a disagreement. And so what, did, what was Paul's solution to this? Paul says that those with the strong conscience are to submit to those with the weak conscience. He didn't say, you with the weak conscience, man up and get with the program and eat that meat. No. He said that those with the strong conscience needed to respect the conscience of their brothers and sisters who held to a... a different level of conviction than, than where they would come out. And I believe that Paul is pointing out clearly here that what's important isn't whether or not you have a strong conscience that allows you to eat meat or whatever the issue might be that you're facing, but whether you're building up or tearing down your brothers and sisters within the church. He says here that uh, it is wrong for a man to eat, to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So when we disregard someone else's conscience and it causes them to struggle and to stumble, we are not acting in love. And we may be causing someone else to sin. We live in a society that highly values independence and personal expression. And it's a mindset that has infiltrated us within the church. It has infiltrated our thinking. But it militates against what the Scripture teaches because the Scripture clearly teaches that we need to be sensitive to the conscience of others. We need to hold others 
above ourselves. Our flesh rebels against that idea of making ourselves submissive to the conscience of someone else. Why do you think that this, this idea in, in society of, of, of personal independence and personal expression is so popular? It's because it feeds right into our fleshly desires. And so as we are in the Lord, we're to be crucifying self and holding up the, the good and the needs of others above our own personal needs. Another thing, and I think I'll mention this later on as well on another point, but I have learned that if we're sensitive to the conscience of others, overall, we'll find ourselves being strengthened. Because as I am sensitive to your conscience and you are sensitive to mine, we will build each other up. But as we become individualistic and all that matters is me and what I believe for myself and what and you and what you believe for yourself, we are losing strength. Because I don't have 100% knowledge and understanding of God's Word and God's will. And so your conscience can strengthen mine and build me up. And in, in turn, my conscience can help to strengthen you and build you up. I mentioned the term group conscience. You all, just like us in Southeastern Conference, have a written statement, a booklet of standards. And we could say that that booklet defines our group conscience in many ways. It's a written agreement of where we stand on, on issues on what we will and won't allow. It certainly gives us some parameters. And sometimes we look at these standards and we don't necessarily agree with where that line was drawn. And I speak from personal experience and so I suspect that I speak for pretty much everybody here. And when we look at that and we don't necessarily agree, well, I would, have, I would have defined this this way or I would have drawn the line here. Our personal tendency is to start ignoring things or, or fudging and pushing the line a little bit. But you know, that's not living in good conscience. There's a term for that and it's called being selfish doing what I want, not submitting to the conscience of the group. 
being self-centered. Earlier I read a number of verses admonishing us to submit, to prefer one another. And so as we refuse to submit to group conscience, we are really disobeying those commands of Scripture to, uh, to honor and prefer others above our own personal preferences. As I said, our society is very individually, individualistic and very self-centered. But that is not God's design for the church. And so when we find ourselves falling into that pattern of being individualistic and self-centered, we are, we are not living in, in good conscience. And again, I believe that there is a lot of blessing and there is a tremendous amount of spiritual safety in following and submitting to group conscience. So we make up for each other's weaknesses. Now another aspect of conscience that some of us have dealt with in one way or another or have related to those who have, is having an overly sensitive conscience. So here in Romans 14, maybe we have an example of that. Maybe those who couldn't, didn't feel like they could eat this meat, maybe their consciences were a little oversensitive. Probably most of us would look at that and feel that way. But you know, I have known people whose consciences were so sensitive that they were somewhat crippled. Unable hardly to make decisions. Unsure if, if they were what they were doing was right in God's eyes. And it's not, it's not a good place to be because it can cause a lot of inner turmoil and distress. But I have a few things to say about an overly sensitive conscience. And the first thing I want to say is that I believe that it is much better to have an overly sensitive conscience than to have a conscience that is dulled and is leading, leading you away from God's truth. Like I said, Paul spoke in 1 Timothy 4 verse 2 of those who had, whose consciences were seared with a hot iron. How much better it is to have an overly sensitive conscience than to have a conscience that is seared and is just letting us go and letting us move away from God. So don't belittle someone who has an overly sensitive conscience. Don't look down on a person. If you know someone like that, don't look down on someone that has, has a very sensitive conscience. 
It can be easy to look down on someone or feel like that they're just being unreasonable. We might view them as weak or, or lacking understanding. But I challenge us all as we relate to people like that to respect them for their sensitivity, to appreciate that sensitivity. And to recognize that sometimes someone like that that has a high level of sensitivity in their conscience, sometimes that person can be a real blessing to you and me. I had to think about a brother who brought something up within the last year, maybe, year, year and a half. This was in a, in a Sunday school class. He brought up something that was bothering him in regards to a church activity. And later he kind of apologized to me and he was feeling bad that he, he had even said anything. And I told the brother, I said, no. I said, I want to hear what you have to share. His view was a minority view, but yet his view helped me to think about the subject in a better way. And, and I want to take his view or, or I want to consider his view and not just ignore it. So someone with a sensitive conscience can help us to think about things and maybe hone our conscience Maybe someone's conscience is more sensitive in, er in a certain area than yours is, and it can help you to, to hone yours to where yours is guiding you in a more godlike way. Remember that God has put us all together in the church to strengthen each other and to build each other up. So let's learn from those with a more sensitive conscience. Another point regarding a sensitive, overly sensitive conscience is that maybe there are some here today that have been blessed with a very sensitive conscience. And if so, I have a few words of advice especially if your conscience is so sensitive that you find yourself struggling in making decisions or struggling to know if you are at peace with God, have His approval. Find yourself a good, solid, spiritually mature brother or sister within your congregation that you can talk to. Someone that you can get some advice from. A person with a very sensitive conscience can benefit at times from having someone that they can talk about, talk to, talk through issues, and gain some, some guidance and direction. I know of a man that has a very sensitive conscience. 
and he struggles with some of these things of knowing if he's within God's will. But that brother has a good godly brother that a trusted brother that he talks to on a regular basis. And that brother helps him to work through these issues. Helps to bring some correct perspective where the, the brother with the sensitive conscience might have some incorrect perspectives. And it's been a tremendous blessing. He's been able to deal with things that previously he, was, he would have struggled to have known how to dealt with and how to have handled. But he trusts his counselor. He has full confidence in the advice that he's getting. And his counselor is a good, godly, mature brother. But a word of warning, don't seek out someone who you think will tell you what you want to hear or what's going to not be easy. But ideally, find someone that's spiritually mature. Ideally, probably someone that's older than you. Someone who is demonstrating that they are living in good conscience so that they can guide and direct. Romans 15.1 is a verse that we should all keep in mind. Them that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Paul said that right after this discourse on how to relate in this situation of those who had differing opinions on eating meat. Them that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. He was speaking there of these differences of conscience. So if we have a strong conscience, we need to be bearing, working with those who have a weaker conscience and never belittling that that weaker conscience or more sensitive conscience. And, and being willing to learn from the consciences of others. So in closing, God has given us a conscience to guide us in the right way. He's given us a conscience to help us to avoid sin He's given us a conscience to correct us when we fail. See, our conscience is all about keeping our life centered on God, steered in the correct direction. So as believers, as followers of the Lord, we should be very interested in developing our conscience and in exercising it in a correct way. Because as we do, it's going to draw us into a closer relationship with the Lord. And I believe as well, it's going to draw us into a closer 
relationship within the church with our brothers and sisters. Because as we exercise our conscience and we respect the conscience of others, I believe it's going to unify us and bring us together. But as we disregard things of conscience, it's going to cause us to become more and more individualistic and it's going to push us apart. So I hope that in what I've shared in these messages that you've been challenged to appreciate your conscience, to develop it in a godly way, and to relate, to live in good conscience before God. So may God bless you in that.